Hello, welcome to the Answers That Count podcast. I'm your host, Charles Musgrove, and thank you for joining us for another exciting show. And you know what we do, we bring those nuggets of knowledge for all the viewers and the listeners out there. You know where to find us. We're on all your favorite podcast channels. Where you're, Whether you're listening or watching us, just hit the subscribe button, hit the like button so that more people will find out about the show. And today we've got Mark Moss joining us from Puerto Rico. Mark, thank you so much for joining us on the Answers That Count podcast. Yeah, thanks so much, Charles. It's great to be here. Yeah. Uh, from from Puerto Rico. <laughs> it's great. And you're you're a new resident of Puerto Rico. I think you, you were saying before the show that you've been down there for about 28 days. So how's how's the weather down there? Yeah, I am. I'm a new resident. We moved here January 1st, start the start this uh, this entire year, the tax year here. And so far, so good. I mean, the weather is absolutely beautiful. And I say that as somebody who's coming from Southern California, where the weather is already beautiful. Uh, but it's even it's even better here. It's on the same um, latitude, I think it is, as uh, basically Hawaii. So it's kind of like being in Hawaii, which I've spent a lot of time there. Uh, very similar, 80 degrees every day, 70 degrees every night. I mean, it's perfect. Yeah. So you've, you've gone from, uh, you've been in like the best weather places in the, in the world, it sounds like, from Southern California, Hawaii, now down to Puerto Rico. So uh, yeah, I don't think we're going to see you up in the Northeast where it gets 20 below or anything like that. Well, actually, uh, <laughs> I'm actually leaving the island uh, this weekend to go chase some snow. Uh, we're, I'm a big snowboarder, so we're going to go try and chase some of that fresh powder that's been falling kind of on the west west part of the U.S. So uh, I'll go get a little bit of it, and then I'll come back to the warm yeah. weather. Well, good. I hope you enjoy that. Be safe and enjoy the white powder. Yeah. Good deal. So, listen, I've, I've found you on YouTube, and you're one of the one of those podcasters, one of those YouTubers that I'll watch on a frequent basis. And it's been very interesting following you as you talk about the cryptocurrency, what's happening to the banks, what's happening to the to the US dollar, and just putting money in the scarce assets. I know one of the one of the shows you did recently was about Bill Gates buying farmland. He's I yep. think you said that he's the uh, the largest farmland holder now in, in the US. Yeah, that's correct. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I mean, that's kind of my whole thesis and really it all, it all came together. I'd been an investor and business owner for, for a long, long time in 2008 in the great financial crash, I got kind of wiped out by the tsunami, like, like most people at that time. And it made me realize like, for me, a lot of people never wonder, never recovered from that mentally. I grew up racing dirt bikes. I've, I've broken pretty much every bone in my body. So I'm used to just kind of like, well, well, let me just try that again. Brush it off. So, and go back. <laughs> brush it off. And so it was a matter of like, okay, what the heck just happened? And let me figure this out. Right. So it was about digging into the financial system. And when I started to learn about the financial casino, we can call it that I, I realized that it all goes down to the money. And so we have this fake fiat currency. And uh, since we've got off of any sound money, which was gold, like typically about 1971, everything has gone awry. And so uh, my whole kind of focus is on the money and how returning to a sound money can fix these things. In the meantime, as, as uh, we've talked about, right, the Federal Reserve is printing money, whatever you want to call it, injecting money, um, creating debt, whatever you want to call it, um, into the system at an unprecedented level. And so it's just going to continue to push people into the scarce assets. Uh, and what I believe are the real tangible hard assets, things that can't be inflated away. So of course, land is one of those things and not just any land, but, uh, but good land. So farmland being one of those is productive beachfront land, of course, is uh, very, very scarce um, and things like that. Yeah. So that, I think that's interesting. So typically those hard assets or those tangible assets are where people go when when they expect inflation or was or when they're in the midst of inflation so that the value 
can can keep pace with with how the currency value is changing. So uh, I think that fits fits into what you're saying. So talk to me a little bit about the the cryptocurrency and Bitcoin. I know that's that's something that you talk a lot about on on your show, and I think you call that a scarce asset as well. Well, um, I certainly do, but I think it's important to understand um, the difference. And so I talk about Bitcoin being a scarce asset, not cryptocurrency. So um, I look at that as, as different things. And so one common thing that people say is, well, what makes Bitcoin special? How can Bitcoin be scarce? Because there's 8,000 other cryptocurrencies. And I would just say, well, there's one Mona Lisa painting and there's uh, thousands of copies, but it doesn't diminish the original, right? Uh, we just talked about land. Not all land is a good investment, That's but true. scarce, scarce land, right? And so you have to understand the properties. I mean, gold is valuable, but not every type of metal is valuable, right? right. So aluminum and things like that. So you have to kind of understand. So specifically towards Bitcoin, um, it is the most scarce asset in history. And it's, it's done that via code, via math. And so there will never be more than 21 million. And so it's digitally scarce. And when you think about that, only 21 million, and there's about about 40, 45 million millionaires in the world. So that means there's not even enough uh, Bitcoin for all the millionaires to even own half of one. Mm. And so you start thinking about, wow, how scarce is that? And so at the end of the day, I mean, I, I think at the base of all economics is scarcity. Um, it's always about having these scarce assets. Um, and so anyway, yeah, it's, it's scarce, but... Um, I don't know. Did that, did that answer your question yeah, so about scarcity you, and Bitcoin? So tell the talk about how you how you would trade that, and you still you're still most people trade in in dollars, right? So you well, buy and uh, sell things in dollars, and not not everyday things. Or do you do you use Bitcoin it, to trade? Well, I think right now, so you know, it's things evolve, right? So we had a brand new technology about 10 years ago, 11 years ago, that was created Bitcoin. And it was created as a response, right? So um, necessity is the mother of invention. And so with the runaway banking, runaway money creation, and it was right at the 2008 uh, financial crash is when Bitcoin was released. And it was a, it was a, it was a, technological revolution. It solved a mathematical problem that was unsolvable before. And that's the double spin problem. Because like a, with a, something digital, I can send it to you, you can make copies of it, right? And then you can start sending to everybody. Right. So it solved this problem by doing this decentralized ledger, this blockchain by using blockchain. Now, a lot of people get caught up and go, well, it's not Bitcoin, it's blockchain that's revolutionary. But that's, that's, not, that's not right. Blockchain is one of a few pieces that makes Bitcoin what it is. A blockchain on its own is just a, it's just a database. Um, and so it's really not that revolutionary. But the way that Bitcoin uses it is revolutionary. But it, it, it's an evolution like any technology. So in the beginning, you know, it's somebody invents it. A few people start believing in it. Some of the, some of the uh, what we would call early adopters are true believers. And then at some point, some speculators come in behind it. And we can look at this in in, in, uh, in Silicon Valley all day, right? Like with Uber or something like that, right? The venture capitalists come behind, they start putting money behind it. And then more speculators come behind. And that speculators are important because that's what pushes the market up. But eventually then early adopters come in and start using it, right? So you have this evolution. So Bitcoin definitely started as you know a technological, technological revolution. It's then become a speculation asset. Um, it is now evolving from the speculatory asset into what we call a store of value. So it's somewhere that you can store your value outside of the financial system. So if I hold my money in the financial system, for example, in the bank, well, 
Biden's trying to put through $1.9 trillion more today, and that's going to make all the dollars in my bank worth less and less right. and less, right? Stealing it. So, so right now it's turning into a store of value, somewhere we can store our wealth, store our value outside of the system that can't be inflated. And then eventually that it'll go from a store of value into like a medium of exchange, which could actually be like a currency. Right. And then it would eventually um, be able to go into what we'd call a unit of account, where all financial assets and things would be measured against Bitcoin. So that's the evolution that it could eventually get to those things, but just it's, so it's not really the best medium of exchange today. The dollar still works really well for that. Right. I like to spend my fiat and I like to save my Bitcoin. So right now I think it's the collectible store value stage. And, and, and when you see most of the wall street people talking about today, we've had a massive amount of wall street people coming in. Michael Saylor, who's a you know founder of a, a billion dollar software company, they put their entire treasury, about half a billion dollars into Bitcoin. And since he's done that, he's doubled it, which is pretty good. And now it's attracting a lot of other Wall Street types. And he's just announced he's having a conference for about a thousand other Fortune 500 um, leaders to show them how to do the exact same thing. And they're all doing this to uh, more for the store of value right. aspect of it. Yeah. So you're still subject to that price over in that store of value where you where you warehouse that, that wealth is still going to fluctuate with the, with the valuation though, right? Well, I mean, every asset, every right. asset in the world fluctuates. And That's so right. this whole, this whole concept of stability is, is a utopian dream. And, and a utopia is not real because the unfortunate fact is my idea of utopia is different than your idea of utopia. Right. And because we have different ideas of utopia, there's no utopia for us. Right. Um, but also price stability is also that same thing, just like safety is that thing. Safety is not real either. Um, so the whole idea of stability isn't real because I want I love vanilla ice cream. All I want is vanilla ice cream, but tomorrow I just want chocolate. I don't know why. I just want chocolate. And so human nature, we change, you know, things develop, trends, these things. So the whole idea of price stability is a little bit false. And Bitcoin right now is still somewhat of a free market. And because it's still a speculative asset, it is volatile. People are trading it up and down. You're right. But if you were to zoom out and you would look at it from a larger scale, what you would actually see is that in the last 11 years, not only has it been the, the best performing asset in every single year for the last 11 years, except for one, you would also see that the lowest price point every single year has been higher. Wow. So while it does go like this, right. don't get me wrong, still the, lo upper curve. the lowest price point every year has been up. The other thing I'd say is uh, like real estate, for example, would be a good analogy is that typically you would tell somebody looking to buy a home in real estate, the old saying would be, you know, if you plan to own it for at least five years, you'll right. be okay. And that's because of the, the market cycles, right? right? So typically if you hold it for five years, you'll kind of go through that market style, be able to get out. Well, if we look at Bitcoin the same way, there's never been more than three years between a high to a new high. So kind of the same thing, if you zoom out, have that long-term perspective, it's been higher, the lowest the lowest point has been higher of a year and you've never had to wait more than three years. And so um, I think you just get a different perspective of it that way. Yeah, that's a very good way to look at it. And like you said, it's diversification. So that's almost the the ultimate diversification. It's- uh, it, yeah. it is, yeah. I mean, for Wall Street, and that's why Wall Street loves it, right? Because it has a very low correlation to other types of assets, stock market assets and stuff like that. And so Wall Street's, of course, always trying to lower the volatility. Um, and so they love it um, for that perspective as well. But again, I think it really comes down to that perspective and, and having that long-term perspective. Um, and so, you know, I look at it as like the most scarce asset in the world, digitally scarce asset. And so 
it's kind of like, you know, I, I, I talked about, I just came from Southern California and Southern California real estate is really expensive, right. but it was only 60, 70 years ago that it really started getting developed. And so it's like, man, why didn't my great granddad buy up all that land? Like, yeah. shoot, you know, but he didn't. And so I look at it like my great grandkids could say that about me. Wow, I can't believe my great granddad was able to buy all that Bitcoin. And that that's kind of, I have that long-term perspective on it. Good. What do you see with the... Uh the the banks and and the dollar i mean this is i think you've not to paint a doom and gloom situation but you've talked about the flooding of the in in 2020 with all the new money the 1.9 trillion dollar bill that biden's look at looking at now so where where do you see that what's the end well unfortunately um there's no option except for moving forward at this point right so um it you know, this is, it's a big subject, but to keep it simple, right? I mean, for about 5,000 years, kind of gold was money. Um, gold pretty much backed the dollar until 1971, President Richard Nixon severed that gold tie. Right. So we went into this fiat money system. So basically the, the dollar's backed by nothing. No, no currency is backed by anything, the fiat money. And so if you look from 1971 until today, we've had 300 plus trillion dollars of debt created. All the Crazy. booms and busts continue to get worse and worse. And so really, if you think about um, the money supply and inflation, you think about the money supply in like a balloon and they're inflating the balloon with money. What happens is that's fake. That's fake money. Money has to have a true cost of capital. You can't just inject it into the system. Right. And so what happens is they're inflating the system, but the system wants to keep correcting. And so each time it tries to correct, deflate, they have to pump it back up. Yeah. And then it deflates, they pump back up. And so if you look just since 1971 at each correction, it gets deeper and deeper and deeper. And the more they have to inflate it back up. And so just to, in recent example, in 2008, um, I'm sure you remember they had to bail out the banks. There was the TARP package. It was, I think, $700 billion. And at the time it was like, oh my gosh, 700 billion. I can't even believe it. The whole world was in shock. 700 billion. We couldn't believe it. Well, we just printed seven trillion. Exactly. Yeah. So that all that's doing is is desensitizing us to the to that big money. I mean, we're yeah. talking like two trillion dollars or a trillion dollars, like it's a, buying a pack of gum now. It's crazy. <laughs> in thirty days, you know, in twenty twenty, in thirty days, they printed more money than the entire United States had in two hundred years. Yeah. They didn't thirty days. They increased the money supply by thirty percent last year. And guess year. what? They kept talking about that wasn't enough. We got to have another round. <laughs> I mean, every time they complete a round, it's like. There's going to be another one. Yeah. And so, you know, we're at the point where we're basically spending $2 to get $1 of growth right now. And so like, that doesn't really make sense. Why would you spend two bucks to get a dollar of growth? Uh, but it's, it's because of the law of diminishing returns. And so a little bit helped a little bit, but eventually more doesn't really help that much more. And then eventually the more hurts you. Yeah. And so that's kind of, that's kind of where we're at, but unfortunately there's, we're at the point of no return. So for example, um, right now, kind of what we would call in the United States, there's three non-negotiable expenses, which would be interest on the debt, of course, military spending, and then entitlement. So that's, you know, social security, things like yeah. that. Those three things alone are 140% of tax receipts, 140%. So that we're, we're spending more just on those three items than we're bringing in. Yeah. Just, just those three things. I mean, the deficit right now is about, you know, I think it's over three, three, four trillion. We yeah. don't even know it's going up so fast, but so we bring in about three trillion, three and a half trillion. We're spending 7 trillion. Yeah. Um, and so, um, not only are we spending twice as much as we bring in, we have, you know, $30 trillion of debt about at this point right now, we have just those mandatory spending expenses are over what we bring in. And so back to your question, where are we going? Well, 
there's no there's no chance of reversing at this point. If they pull back even a little bit, the entire system crashes. And so, unfortunately, it's a go tell you blow, right? They have to continue this going, um, and will continue to have diminishing returns. And at some point, it just it just stops working. So what happens to the dollar? I mean, we got we're mounting all this debt. We're spending more than than what we're bringing in. So what's is there a correction and, and there's a wipeout, uh, a revaluation, the great reset? Yeah. Well, there's a couple options, right? I mean, I, I always say I always say that I wish I had a crystal ball to yeah. make this so much easier, uh, but we don't. So what I think about is I don't like to try to make predictions. I, I kind of have this uh, decision-making tree, kind of like what the CIA might use. So I might say, well, look, here's two possible outcomes. And for this to happen, this, 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 and this would happen. Or if this would happen, this, this, and this would happen. And then you watch the signs developed, and then that starts to show you which one. So it's about, it's about assigning probabilities. So what I'd say is the options that we have, um, you, you mentioned revaluation. So that's, that's one serious option. Um, and so what that means is, like I said, the whole system used to be based off of the gold standard. We're no longer on the gold standard. People want to say that the U.S. dollar is backed by the full faith of the government, whatever that means. It's backed by the military. It used to be backed by oil. All these things, they can throw these things out. But really what it's backed by is trust. Right. That's what it's backed by. And trust, if anybody knows, if they've ever been in a relationship, trust is very fragile. Yeah. And so we are, uh, we are seeing trust being lost in the United States at a rapid pace. Now, we can see this from a number of things. I mean, obviously, I can give you my opinion, but we can see, just look at the Dixie, the dollar index is just crashing. And it's not just declining, it's crashing, it's dropping very, very fast. Um, and so it's losing value. And so that tells me that the world is losing confidence in the U.S. dollar. We can see it in the bond purchases, right? The bond, the foreign governments are buying less and less and less of bonds, bonds of the U.S. government. We can also see it, which is breaking news uh, right now, which has been this Wall Street bets thing that's going on in Reddit, oh, yeah. where the Reddit crazy? trader. Yeah, it's crazy. And, and, and I love it. It's, it's super interesting, super fun. But, but again, um, if you look at the people on Reddit and what they're saying, it's because they are upset. They're angry at yeah. the system. They yeah. know the system is rigged. They know they're being manipulated and they are willing to lose all, like some of these comments I've been reading, they're willing to lose it all to fight against the system. David and versus so, Goliath. It is, it is. And they're, and they're, they're willing to, to die in battle, so to speak, right. Lose their, lose their finances to go, go against. And so, um, we can see trust is being lost. So right. back, back to the question. Um, when the currencies implode, as I said, right, eventually the diminishing returns are so much where it doesn't work anymore. And so what's their, what's, what, what's their play? Well, the only play would be, well, one of the plays would be to restore trust back into the currency. And the only way to do that would probably be to back it by gold again. So that's that kind of revaluation thing. So they'd go, okay, there's, you know, however many hundreds of trillions of dollars of currency in the world. There's so many ounces of gold in the world. Um, we're going to back at 50% by gold. Psh, new price of gold is 45,000 bucks an ounce. Yeah. So they could do something like that. That's one option. Um, I think before they get to that, that's like a, that's like a hell Mary. That's like when we have no other chance, that's what we have to do. I think before we get to that point, you mentioned the great reset. And I think we're starting to see that being set up right now. And so, um, how the Great Reset gets played out exactly is a little bit uh, unclear at this point. But what we what we can see clearly is that um, the governments, the central banks, are releasing their own central bank digital currencies. Right. 
And so we know China released theirs to the wild on October 12th. We know the Fed's working on it. Many countries are working on it. But what's even more important and interesting is the IMF, the International Monetary Fund, came out about a month ago now, and they called for a Bretton Woods 2 moment. And so you have to understand what Bretton Woods 1 is, which is, in a nutshell, basically that they got the entire world to come together and agree to use a one-world monetary system, which was the dollar backed by gold. The other currencies would, would peg to the dollar. So a Bretton Woods 2 is basically the same thing where the world comes together and agrees to like a one world currency. And so the IMF has talked about having their own digital currency, uh, which would probably be like an SDR basket, like a special drawing rights where they use different currencies in a basket, kind of like what Facebook Libra tried to propose. And uh, I think that's what's coming. I think each country will probably have their own central bank digital currency, which will all be tied to this uh, single basket from the IMF. We know this, uh, you mentioned the Great Reset. So Klaus Schwab from the World, World Economic Forum, he wrote a book recently titled COVID-19, The Great Reset. And in that he calls for solidarity of taxes and economies. And so what that means is, um, I moved to Puerto Rico because I have more tax-friendly jurisdiction than I do in in in, uh, in, right. in the United States. Um, in the Cayman Islands, there's no tax in the Cayman Islands, so they want solidarity. So they want a so global economy. They want global taxes. They want wow. global economies and all those things. And so I think that is what's coming. Um, and so while we might have all these individual currencies of the of the world, they're all going to be in the same system, which will be regulated by that SDR. Um, and so I think before we go back to the gold thing, because they're never going to want to go back and live on a budget. Right. Once you can create money from thin air, why would you ever want to give that ability up? I mean, sure. you wouldn't, not, not voluntarily. So I think they're trying to keep the system around long enough until they're ready to make that transition. Um, and they're not quite there yet. It might be another year. So maybe they're trying to keep the system ready until they're ready to make the switch. Man, so you, now, think, it, you think we're within a year of them doing a, doing that kind of reset to the digital um, currency standard. May, you know, I would, I would guess 12 to 24 months. Interesting. Yeah, I would, I would guess 12 to 24 months. I mean, we, we're already seeing it rolled out. Like I said, China's already released yeah. theirs. So we're already starting to see it, but it'd probably be somewhere in, I would guess, 12 to 24 months before that's really ready to roll out. Um, and they'll probably transition to that, but it's going to fail. It will fail because they're, they don't understand what money is. And so it's going to fail. And then maybe at some point we get to the point where they have to revalue it with gold. Wow. So you think that's the gold revaluation is probably step two or three? Well, I do, except for there's a quote from uh, Nobel Prize winning economist, uh, Austrian economist, F.A. Hayek. And uh, I'll butcher it maybe, but he said, I think he said this in 1984, that there shall never be another sound money again until the thing is taken out of the hands of the government, but it can't be done by force, but rather only be done through a sly roundabout way until they don't know what's happening. It's too late. Something like that. Wow. So he said that in 1984, and that's exactly what we're looking at today. It was so prophetic. So yeah. we have Bitcoin today. So it wasn't done by force. It was done in a sly roundabout way. So Bitcoin started 11 years ago. Nobody knew about it. Nobody cared about it. The governments didn't pay any attention to it. Today, it's too big. They can't yeah. stop it. 
There's, it's unstoppable today. So it was that sly roundabout way. So um, I believe that, as he said, we there will never be sound money again until we take it out of the hands of the government. So what we're proposing is that we have a separate, just like we had a separation of church and state. So back in the 1400s, the state, the, uh, the, the state and, the, and the church were together and they basically ruled and, and really for thousands of years, kind of that way. Um, and at some point, um, the printing press was developed and the people got Bibles and they read the Bible for themselves. And they said, hey, everything you're telling us is wrong. And so that it was that decentralization of right. information that freed people. And um, today we're seeing the same thing where everybody thinks that the state is supposed to control money because that's how it's always been. And that's what they've always told us. But now we have information that's spread and people are going, wait a minute, <laughs> it's actually the government that's causing all these problems by manipulating the money. And if we can get money out of the hands, we can go back to a sound economy again. So now the information is being decentralized and now we have a tool. It wasn't done by force, but it was done in a sneaky way, like FII um, prophesied. And now we have that today. So what I'm more leaning towards is that we don't ever get to a point where they can do this with the CBDCs and revalue with gold. And really um, people start jumping into their own alternative form. Hey, we're not going to play your game anymore. Why would I want to hold your currency that you're only going to debase when I can go hold something that you can't debase? And so as more and more people start opting out, they're going to lose the ability to do that. Interesting. Man, that's a great perspective. That's uh, I know that you've, you've just distilled a lot of information down into a quick segment, but man, that is that is some interesting stuff there, Mark. I mean, if you really want to play this out, and so that's what I like to do, right? So like I, what I've found is like when in decision-making, sometimes you have to look at both extremes. Right. So like, let's play that out. Where does this go, right? So uh, for example, the minimum wage argument, right? Um, well, what would happen if, if $15 is better, why not $300 an hour? Right. Like, let's play that out, right? Yeah. Um, well, shoot, at 300 bucks an hour, then nobody gets hired. And prices are so high, no one can right. afford it. You get a $1,000 okay. well, hamburger. Well, what about at zero, right? So like, let's, let's look at both extremes and what happens, right? So um, I would say kind of the same thing. If we, if we look at the way society has been developing. So we had uh, George Orwell wrote the book 1984 and he's predicted a lot of things exactly where we're going, right? Mm -hmm. And so we see the, 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 the track that we're on, right? We're moving into this uh, total totalitarian state where not only, you know, like China with their social credit systems and things like that, but the central bank digital currencies are very interesting. And most people don't really understand what they are. I mean, about 90% of uh, money transactions today are digital. I use my debit card and wire transfers everywhere. It's digital right. money. What's the difference with CBDC? Well, central bank digital currency, CBDC. The difference is that central bank digital currencies, CBDCs, are programmable. It's programmable money. So what they can do is they can say, hey, like uh, when they sent the stimulus out in March last year, they sent that to stimulate the economy. They want people to go spend. But people didn't spend people saved or people mm -hmm. invested in the stock market. So they could say, Hey, it's programmable. Hey, we're going to give you the stimulus, but if you don't spend it by Friday, you lose it. Or, Hey, we're going to give you the money. You have two weeks. You don't get more till you spend it, or you have it, but you, you can't spend it on Robin hood right. trading, yeah. but you can spend it here. Right. So they, they can, can buy program. groceries with it. They can also do it behavioral behavioral modification. So, Hey, uh, Charles, you're saving way too much money. So you have a negative 5% interest rate. Hey, Mark, you're not saving enough. You get a 5% positive interest rate, right? So they can do all these different types of things. Hey, Mark, you said too many crazy things on Twitter. Uh, you don't get a bus tickets, right? You can't buy plane tickets with your programmable money anymore. So um, it's really about total control. And so really, again, back to, if you look at the track that we're on, we're moving to this totalitarian, uh, this dystopia, if you call it that, and technology is giving them the perfect tool. And so again, playing that out, how, where does that lead? Like, where, where does that go? And, and back to human nature, once they have that control, why would they just willingly give that up? They Man, won't. that's, yeah, 
Interesting. So, so what eventually breaks it? Because they're not going to just wake up tomorrow and give it back. Mark, so hold what? that. Hold right there. I want to come back. We're going to do a soft <laughs> break. All of those that are on the radio show, go jump on the, the podcast or the YouTube and finish this show. We're talking with Mark Moss. We're learning a lot about digital currencies and where we're going with the dollar and the future currency. So, Mark, let's continue the show now. So where, <laughs> where, where do we go from that? Yeah. So like I said, I mean, that's, that's the track that we're on. We have 30, 40 years of that track, right? And uh, we can see that the technology tools that are being you know, developed and put in place today are just taking us further. So again, playing that out, how does it reverse? And so if you think about that, as I said, human nature isn't going to want to just give that back. So what, what's going to happen? And I believe there is an option. I, I do have hope for the future. And so if, you know, there's socialism and communism and fascism and all these isms and capitalism, and, and, and it gets complicated and people start trying to dive into the weeds. Really, they're, they're all shades of the same color. And so what I would say is that there's really only two systems. You either have one, which is a captured, controlled, um, centrally planned system, or you have a free, open, competitive system. Right. So what we've come and, from is a free open system in the United well, States. Well, I don't I don't I don't think any country has one or the other. It's right. always a blend. So you're more free than controlled or you're more controlled than free and it's always a blend of that. Um I think at some point and we're definitely moving more towards the controlled right. uh, exactly. and less away from the free for sure. Uh but so what I believe the only thing that changes the course of the path that we're on is competition. That's it. We know that competition always creates better service, better products, better prices. And so right now we're seeing that play out. So for example, I just came from California. Um, Elon Musk says, Hey, if you don't open the state back up and allow me to run my plant, I'm moving. Right. And uh, I forget who it was. Uh, one of the California lawmakers tweeted F you Elon Musk. Like what? Yeah. And at the, at the same time, Nevada and Texas are like, Hey, come over yeah. here, come over here, That's come right. over here. Right. Come on. And they started competing. We'll give you land. We'll give you land and building. We'll give you land, building, tax break. Like, and they were competing. Um, and right now, people are leaving in mass from New York to New Florida. York, yeah. right? Wall Street is leaving New York to go to Florida because Florida is out-competing them. Right. And so it's the competition that eventually... So um, in California... <laughs> everybody's moved out of California. I've moved out of Florida. Hollywood's moved out of Florida. Silicon Valley's moving out of Florida. Everyone's moved out of Florida. And the governor there is being recalled. Oh, yeah. Gavin Newsom. And, yeah, they, and, they're saying that's going to go through. Yeah. And uh, yesterday, uh, I think it was yesterday, the day before, Chamath, a big a big investor, um, he came out and said, I'm going to run for governor. And I'm going to make California great again. And I am going to drop it to 0% state taxes. So eventually they lose so many people. It, it goes so bad that they have to stay competitive and they have to roll back their policies. Right. right? right. So they go, competition, they go too far. So competition is the only thing that will um, break this, but it goes deeper. So we're seeing states compete, but what about when nations compete? Yeah. So California, or let's say the United States becomes so totalitarian um, driven that you can't even really open a business anymore. Kind of sound familiar. You can't run yeah. your business anymore. You can't do anything. And another country says, hey, come over here. We're open. We're People free. Leave. You can... As long as and, they can and get so, on a plane and move, they're going to go over there. Right. And they always have. Right. And so as I grew up when I, as a kid, I had friends who came over from Iran, Afghanistan. Some of my best friends came from South Africa. And when they came over, they came penniless. They couldn't bring their real estate, couldn't bring their gold. They couldn't even get their money out of the bank. They came penniless. But there's something that changes all that. You see, when I can get my money out of the financial system, like into Bitcoin. Right. Then you can, you're more I know, transportable. I know 12 words in my head. 
I can literally swim to another country, plug into the computer and have all my wealth. Gold, I can't do that. I can't yeah. take my gold with me. And That'll so- sink the boat. And so, it, well, the government will have guards. They won't even let me yeah. get it out, right? So, um, so um, the competition is what breaks it, but what enables the competition is Bitcoin. Interesting. Man, that just opens it up. Yeah. And really, when you think about Bitcoin, it, it, what most people don't understand is it has no value. It's not worth anything. It's digital, all these things. But it may not be worth anything to you, but it's worth something to somebody. So I have a surfboard. Maybe that surfboard is not worth to you, anything to you. You don't surf. But I paid 5000 bucks for that board because it means something to me, right? So um, value is all, all value subjective. There's no such right. thing as intrinsic value. So um, Bitcoin is the first time in history that I've been able to store my wealth in an unconfiscatable way. So since the beginning of time, people have organized to protect their wealth. This village is going to come over and steal our goats and our chickens and kill everybody, right? They're going to come over and steal our gold. Um, the government's there. The main role of the government is to protect us. But imagine if we can hold our wealth that nobody can take from us. And it doesn't cost anything to secure it. All of a sudden that changes things. Wow. Yeah. So now um, what it is, is it's, it, and, and again, in the United States, maybe you don't care about that. But if you live in a country where they take your wealth on a regular basis, you, you care, do about, care about that. If you were came, if you, if you were one of those people I referenced coming from Afghanistan or South Africa that had to come broke, you care about that. Yeah. If you, if you live in Venezuela and watched your currency evaporate or, you know, blow up overnight, you care, you care about that. Yeah. So there are a lot of people in the world care about that. And people in the United States are waking up to that. So it's, it's censorship resistant. Nobody can steal it. If I want to send it to you, nobody can stop it, block it, or prevent it. You don't have to go it, through a bank. It's all you. It's true sovereignty and nobody can manipulate it. And so we've never, and, and I can secure it. So we've never had a technology like this in the history of the world. And when you think about what it does to the dynamic and the way it sh shifts the world. So for example, um, the internet changed the world. You and I are doing this. Uh, we're in different countries. Oh yeah. And now I can live and I can work anywhere in the world. Um, but gold doesn't allow me to pay you because now we're in a digital world. How do I pay you my gold? Yep. You can't do it. So now Bitcoin changed that. So it's, it's another piece that we can add to this sovereign, this global sovereign individual piece that can really enable that. And if you start to think about how far again, chasing that out, where does that go? I mean, it's a whole new world we're going into and it's a free, it's a free self-sovereign world that I yeah, like. And all of that rings of true liberty and freedom. So that, that just, that brings hope. I think you said that earlier, you have hope yeah. for the future. So if you have, if you have the freedom and the flexibility to control that money without, without a bank or without somebody being in between it, then that's the ultimate freedom, right? Yeah, exactly. Well, the ability to be self-determined, yeah. right? Like I, I am a self-sovereign individual, which is we're you know, we're supposed to be right. I mean, in the United States specifically, right. We, we hold these truths to be self-evident, right. all men are created equal. We have all these rights and the government isn't supposed to give us rights. The government is supposed to protect exactly. our rights. And, uh, but, but being able to control our wealth is the first step to not even needing someone to do that for us. Yeah. Yeah. Those are God given rights. So Man, this has been some good information. Mark, anything, any other nuggets you want to drop on us before we close out? Well, I know we dropped a lot and we can go deeper into all those. The one thing I would just say overall is that I think that, you know, I see too much today online is people are just giving up and they're like, ah, the government's just going to make it illegal. The government's not going to let us do that. And I'm tired of that. Like the, um, the, the, the future is scary. I've painted a scary future. Uh, what the World Economic Forum has planned for us with the Great Reset, you know, the direction we're going with totalitarianism, and, and it is scary. Um, but the future is not set. The future is ours to create. And so if that's not the future you like, if, that's, if that future sounds scary, 
and do something about it. Educate yourself, educate people around you, speak up. And don't true. let that re don't let that and make the reality that you want. So that's I guess that's my final my final. No, thoughts. those are those are good points to end on. And also I want, I want to give you the opportunity to plug your show and that you offer some free education. At least you you had that at one time. So this is your chance. Plug your show, Mark. Yeah, I'd love to. Thank you. Um, yeah, obviously, as he already mentioned, right, I'm, I'm on YouTube. Just search Mark Moss. If you like these type of topics I'm talking about, that's what I talk about all the time. Um, so uh, for sure, just follow me on YouTube at Mark Moss. And then I'm pretty active on Twitter, which is just the number one at number one Mark Moss. So you can follow me on either one of those platforms. Um, I do have a, a, a three days of free education I just put out, and it was about teaching people how to get 2021 the right way. It was kind of the New Year's resolutioners. Let's start 2021 the right way. Focus on building your wealth in a way that you can protect your wealth through this wealth transfer. Um, three days of free education. You can get it. Um, if you go to my YouTube channel, um, you'll, you'll find the links there. Good, man. This has been awesome. Thank you so much, Mark. And you've been watching Answers That Count. I'm your host, Charles Musgrove. You know where to find us. We're on all your favorite podcast channels, whether you're watching or listening. Check it out there. Hit the subscribe button, like it, and come back and watch us another time. Mark, have Thanks. a great day. Have a blessed week. Peace.